That really is a good question, isn't it? How can we be filled with joy this Christmas? As I was preparing for the message this week, I decided to Google the term holiday blues. And man, there are a lot of articles on beating the holiday blues. I wanted to share one briefly with you this morning. It was titled, Why It's Easy to Hate the Holidays. And this is what it said. The holidays are supposed to be the happiest time of the year. Yet, for many, they trigger deep feelings of sadness and anxiety. There's so much emphasis on family and celebration, but it's hard if you're dealing with difficult memories or reminders that you're not close to your family. It can feel like there's a big gap between what other people are experiencing and what you're experiencing. And this article went on to point out four easy steps to beating the holiday blues. And this was step one, don't decorate your Christmas tree alone. And that was the idea that you need to be connected with friends and family. And of course, that's, that's good, that's helpful. The second idea was this, get to the gym. Why? Well, because your body, when you exercises, when you exercise, produces these chemicals called endorphins and they elevate your mood. Number three was rather interesting, don't look at Facebook. Now here's the rationale for that. Even though you know that most people only post their happiest moments on social media, it's easy to lose perspective and get a serious case of FOMO, F-O-M-O, -O, the fear of missing out. Missing out on all the fun and all the joy and all the happiness. And here was number four, reframe your thinking by telling yourself that the holidays are just a season that will soon pass. Now, I believe there's a much better way to reframe our thinking, a biblical way to reframe our thinking so that we can beat the holiday blues and actually experience more joy. So I have something I want you to do. And this is really important. I want to encourage everybody to do this. I want you to think back over the past week. And I want you to think about how much joy you experience and then rate your level of joy on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, before you do that, a 1 means that you had so little joy you could barely drag yourself out of bed. And a number 10 meant that you had so much joy you wanted to take these three letters and put them in your front yard. Or if you want to think about it in, in these terms, if you're a fan of Winnie the Pooh, a one means that you went around all week like Eeyore. You know the gray donkey? Nobody cares about me. Or if you're a 10, you bounced around all week like Tigger, because that's what Tiggers do. They're just full of joy. Now, I really want you to do that, okay? I want you to actually figure out a number and write it down on your outline or write it down in your Bible. Now, in just a little while, I'm going to give you a working definition of joy, but just write down that joy number because here's my goal. Before you walk out of the doors today, I want you to understand what the scripture says about how you can experience more joy in your life. And quite possibly that number could go up even in the next 30 minutes. But I'm hopeful that during the week as you think about what we'll discuss this morning, that you can actually become a more joyful person. So let me begin with this observation, and it's simply this. The Christmas story is a story about, can we say it together? It's a story about joy, and we just talked about it as I lit the Advent candle. An angel appears to this group of terrified shepherds with an incredible message, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy. That will be for who? All the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And what about this teenage girl named Mary in the Christmas story? 
who finds out that she's going to be the mother of Messiah, how does she react? Well, this is what the Bible says. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The Christmas story is a story about joy. Now, let me ask you this. What is the most joyful place in the entire universe? What do you think? Somebody said the Dolphins locker room when they win a game. That's not what I was thinking. What is the most joyful place in the universe? I heard it. Heaven, exactly. And who is the most joyful person in the universe? God is. So here's the thing. Where does Jesus come from when he's born in the, in the manger? He's he coming from heaven, the most joyful place in the universe. And who is Jesus? He's actually God. So this is what's happening on Christmas Day, the most joyful person in the universe is coming from the most joyful place in the universe to bring us what? To bring us joy. And the reason that Jesus wants us to experience joy is because in this broken, fallen world, there is another supernatural being that wants to rob you of your joy. And who would that be? He goes by many names in the Bible. The devil, Satan, the evil one. Francis de Salas said this, the evil one is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be so for all eternity. Therefore, he desires that everyone should be like him. What's that old saying? Misery loves what? Yeah, company. And unfortunately, the evil one has a lot of company. Now, this morning, I want us to really take an honest look at this topic of, of joy because the fact is that many people struggle with with experiencing joy. You might say that they're joy impaired, and you may feel like that this morning, that there's these you know, flashes of joy in your life, but it's hard to have joy on a consistent basis, and maybe today you're sitting next to somebody who you would say is joy impaired. Maybe you're married to somebody who is joy impaired. What I want us to see is that Jesus wants us to go through this life experiencing his joy. In fact, the Bible commands us to be joyful. Look at this verse. It's from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord when? Yeah, always. Always. And, and Paul, who wrote this verse, and Paul was a, a follower of Jesus in the first century, he says for emphasis, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. C.S. Lewis said this one time. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. And I believe that's true. God does not want us to go through life sad and miserable and defeated. He wants us to experience joy. And listen, God would not command us to do something if it weren't possible. So let me give you this working definition of joy. You might want to write this down. I'm going to mention it several times, but here's joy. Joy is the choice to celebrate God's grace regardless of your circumstances. Joy is the choice to celebrate God's grace regardless of your circumstances. Now think about this. You're driving down Boynton Beach Boulevard. You're late to church. You're going 60 miles an hour, and you get pulled over by a police officer. And for the record, this is not an autobiographical story. All right, it's hypothetical. You're, you're driving 60 miles an hour, and this police officer pulls you over, and in his mind, he wants to make sure that justice is served. So what's he going to do? What's he going to give you? A little piece of paper, right? Yeah, here's your traffic citation. So that's justice because justice is what? Getting what you deserve. But let's say that this police officer, he got a good night's sleep, he's in a really good mood, and he pulls you over, and instead of wanting justice to be served, he's intent on mercy. So what might he do? 
Well, he might have a conversation and say, look, I know you were driving too fast, so just slow down, be careful next time. And he doesn't give you a ticket. And that would be the classic definition of mercy, which is not getting what you deserve, because you deserve to get a ticket. But what about this? The police officer pulls you over, and he gets out, and you start to apologize right away and say, officer, I'm really sorry, I was distracted, I was late for church, I didn't want to miss Pastor Dudley's sermon again. And he goes, well, I tell you what, um, yeah, slow down, but I, I noticed that, you know, your, your tires are not in the best shape. And then this police officer reaches into his pocket and gives you five $100 bills and says, hey, why don't you go get some new tires? What would you call that? Some people are saying, a fairy tale, <laughs> a miracle. <laughs> the word I'm thinking of has five letters and it starts with a G and it's what we're supposed to celebrate to be joyful. What is it? Grace. Because if you're a Christian this morning, you have received God's amazing grace. And think about grace like a diamond, because grace has all these different facets. There is saving grace that rescues us. There is transforming grace that transforms us. There is strengthening grace that, that helps us keep going when life is hard. We are people who have received the grace of God. And when you think about it, that's what Christmas is all about. Because did we deserve for Jesus to come to our world? No. He did that out of his great love. And it is the most amazing story. In fact, on Christmas Eve, I'm going to be talking about Christmas as a love story. Because this is what happens. God loves us, and he wants to rescue us. And so he launches the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. And Jesus Christ steps out across the stars. He leaves his home in heaven. Why does he come? Because we're in serious trouble. Our sin this disposition of our heart to choose what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do, this sin in our heart has separated us from a holy God. And because God is not only holy, but just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that punishment is for us to forever be separated from him. But God doesn't want that. He wants us to be reconciled to him, and that's why he sends Jesus Christ. So, so who is this, this baby born in Bethlehem? Well, this is something that is so hard for us to really wrap our minds around, but this baby is actually God. God with us. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. And the Bible tells us about this God who is one God, but he exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And on Christmas, God the Son, Jesus Christ, becomes a human being, and he lives here among us. He, he grows up. He launches his public ministry. He starts telling people that he is bringing about the kingdom of God. And he lives this not only exemplary but perfect life so that he will be qualified to die in our place. And that's exactly what happens. On the cross, Jesus dies for us. God puts our sin on Jesus and punishes him in our place. This anger of God against sin is poured out on his son instead of us. And Jesus dies. And then God raises him to life. God accepts that payment for our sins. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to come and follow me. I came to give you life. And it's a life of what, church? Life of joy. The question is, okay, I get that here. But what about here? I mean, honestly, with all the stuff that's going on in my life, how can I be a more joyful person? How can I take that joy number that I just wrote down and move it up? Well, here's what I want to do. First, I want to talk about some things that really destroy our joy. You could call them joy busters. And then we're going to turn a corner and start talk about some things that will really build joy into our lives. 
So let's start with the joy busters, and this is the first, and it's on your outline. It's grumbling, grumbling. Now, when you think about people in the Bible, what group of people were world-class grumblers? Yeah, the Israelites. They grumbled all the time. God did remarkable things. He sets them free from slavery in Egypt. He guides them through the desert. He brings them into the promised land, and what do they do? They grumble and complain. There's very little joy in their journey. And does God hear this grumbling? Of course he does. Look at this verse. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And just imagine the conversation going on in the tents. Yeah, God, God brought us here from Egypt. But back in Egypt, man, we had the best food. And here, all we get is this stinking manna, this Food from heaven, it's the same thing every single day. Man of burgers, man of bagels, man of cotty. And yesterday we had banana bread. <laughs> now, just, just think about this. Before we're too hard on the Israelites, we have to realize that, that grumbling and complaining can be a problem for people today. Not you and me, of course, just other people. You know, people that compare their life with other people and, and say, oh, my life is so hard. Woe is me. I have so many things to just be sorry about, not thankful for. Do you know anybody like that? Now, church, I want you to understand this. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. In fact, when you read the book of Psalms, he's always asking us, be honest, tell me how you feel. But God doesn't want us to grumble against him. Because grumbling can be a sign of an even more serious problem. And this is joy buster number two. Are you ready? Nod your heads if you're ready. It's selfishness. Selfishness. There was a, an organization called the Institute for Child Behavior Research, and they had people do this exercise that I thought was interesting. You might even think about doing this at some point. You're supposed to write down the, the names of 10 people that you know. They're just their first name. And then next to their name, you're supposed to write whether they are generally happy or unhappy. So how many of you have any happy people in your life? Good. How many of you have any unhappy people in your life? Okay, and then what you're supposed to do next is you're supposed to take that same list of names and then put next to the name whether they're selfish or unselfish. Using this definition of selfishness, a tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interest and welfare and the unwillingness to inconvenience oneself or others. And what they found was remarkable. Every single person that was considered happy was also considered unselfish. Now, we shouldn't be surprised. Look at this verse. It says this, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Jesus said this, love your neighbor as yourself. But of course, to love your neighbor, you have to be concerned about your neighbor. And one of the reasons, church, listen carefully, one of the reasons God wants us to be focused on our neighbor is because when we reach out to our neighbor, what happens to us? Our heart is filled with, with joy. Our heart is filled with joy. Now, let me point out a final joy buster. This is on your outline as well. Fatigue. Just being really tired. Now, when are you most likely to complain or be focused on yourself? When you're tired, right? I mean, tired hearts, tired minds, tired bodies make it really hard to be joyful. And Jesus understands this because there were times when Jesus and his disciples were so busy and so tired and he would say, listen, we just got to get away from all these people and get some rest. Look at this verse. It's from Mark's gospel. It says, then 
because so many people were coming and going that they, the disciples, did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some what? Some rest. I know there have been quite a few people the last couple of weeks that have been fighting some cold germs and flu bugs and, and all of that, and uh, that has not bypassed me this holiday season. And I will tell you, when I get really, really tired, it's hard to be joyful. And I have to remind myself to make the choice to celebrate God's grace. And I also, and this is true for all of us, we need to take the advice of Jesus to get some rest, to spend some time with him so that we can get rest not just for our bodies, but rest for our souls. Now, those are some joy busters to be avoided. What about the things you need to build into your life to experience joy? Well, first of all, let me ask you, how many of you have a cell phone with you this morning? Anybody have a cell phone? Do you have a photo gallery on your cell phone? How many of you have a, a photo gallery? A bunch of photos, maybe some videos as well. If I were to take your phone right now and just bring it up here and put it on the overhead, what would I see the most pictures of in your photo gallery? Would it be your house, your car, your dog, um, or would it be people? What do you think? I think for most people it would be what? People. Because if you think about this, what are the most joyful times you've ever had in your whole life? I know for me the most joyful times I've had is spending time with people I love and people who love me. And that certainly would include times when I've been talking with God because I love God and I know that he loves me. And here's the point that I want you to see. If you want to become a more joyful person, pursue a close connection with God that leads to trust and obedience. And that's the next thing on your outline. If you want to be a, a more joyful person, pursue a close connection with God that leads to trust and obedience. Look at this verse. It says this, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. And this verse from Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him. How, how do I trust him? With all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Now, church, why does trusting God lead to joy? That's a really important question. Why does trusting God lead to joy? Now, think about this. Think about the, the theme of our Advent messages. Um, John Levitt spoke last week and Pastor Phil spoke another week, and we've had this overarching idea that we are people of, who knows? You can look, no, you can look on your, on your outline or on your bulletin, people of, who knows? Can somebody say it really loud? Yes, we are people of promise, people of promise. When you become a Christian, God adopts you into his family. You become his son or his daughter, and he makes promises to you. And this book, the Bible, is full of hundreds of promises that God has made to his people. Things like, hey, I'm never going to leave you. Hey, I'm never going to give up on you. Hey, I'm going to provide everything necessary to accomplish my purpose for your life. And here's the deal. If you really believe that, if you really trust God, you'll be able to choose to celebrate his grace regardless of what's happening in your life. And that leads to joy. That is the definition of joy. And I believe that's what another writer 
his name is James, had in mind when he said this, dear brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters of what family? Whose family? God's family. Because we're people of promise. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for complaining and grumbling and sadness and sorrow. Is that what does he say? An opportunity for joy. This choice to celebrate God's grace is only possible when you really trust God. But how can you tell if you really trust God? Here's the answer. You do what God says. Trust leads to obedience. In fact, you can't really separate one from the other. It's like two sides of the same coin. I trust God, I obey God. I was sharing with a friend before the first service that as I was working on the message this week, and I often work at home, I have an office, and my dog Barnabas kind of just lays there. And sometimes I'll look at him or talk to him when I'm working on a message, just share a thought with him. And so I was, I was looking at, at Barnabas, and I realized he is one joyful dog. I mean, he just is. He's just a joyful dog. He makes people around him joyful. And, and I was thinking about this too, how the truth of the Bible is reflected in so many real-life situations. Because remember I said, if you want to be more joyful, you need a close connection with God that leads to trust and obedience. Well, Barnabas and I have a close connection that leads to his trust and his obedience because he knows that I'm his master. And so I give him commands and I'll say, Barnabas, sit. Give me your paw. Lie down. Now, because I'm his master, he obeys me most of the time. And his heart is filled with joy. How do I know that? Because he wags his tail off. He's just so happy. And he's not just happy because I give him a doggy treat. Listen to this. This is really important. He is joyful because he knows that he has pleased his master. If you're a Christian this morning, how does it make you feel when you please Jesus Christ, your master. Because I'll tell you what, the commands that Jesus gives us are not always easy to follow. Isn't that true? When he says, I want you to forgive that person that really hurt you. Well, Jesus, that's really hard. Yeah, but I want you to obey. Why? Because when you do, it will fill your heart with joy. Because you have pleased me, your master. And God says, I want you to be patient, and I want you to be kind, and I want you to be loving. And and the reason that Jesus gives us these commands to obey is because he wants us to experience his joy. If you want to be a more joyful person, cultivate this close connection with God that leads to trust and obedience. This is what King David describes. He says this, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And I think too, church, there's often this distinction made between joy and happiness, and I think it's really helpful because the word happiness comes from the word happenstance, and happiness is often directly related to circumstances, and we know this. I mean, if things are going really well for you, how do you feel emotionally? How do you feel? Happy. And if things are not going well, how do you feel? Unhappy and grumpy. But see, joy is rooted in a relationship with a God who never, ever changes, a God who will keep every promise he has ever made to you. And that means that your joy doesn't depend on whether you get the Christmas present you want this year. It doesn't depend on whether your kids graduated from college or, or whether your spouse remembered your anniversary or how healthy or wealthy you are because joy is the choice to celebrate the grace of God regardless of your circumstances. But to do that, to celebrate God's grace, this is necessary. We have to be thankful for God's grace. 
We have to be thankful for God's grace. Look at this verse. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived, notice this, in complete honesty. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? This is how the gospel compels us to live. Because of the gospel, we have nothing to prove. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to fear because we are loved by God. We are completely forgiven. I mean, think about this. No matter what you've done or who you've done it with, no matter how many skeletons you may have in your closet, if you're a Christian, God says, I've buried your sin in the depths of the sea and put up a big sign that says, no fishing allowed. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And listen, when you start to get discouraged, when you get a bad case of the holiday blues, if you're a believer, remember that Jesus came so that you could be forgiven. That in God's eyes, when God the Father looks at you, it's as if you have never sinned. And I'll tell you what, when you start thinking about that, when your heart becomes thankful for that, you will begin to experience God's joy. Now here's another way to raise your joy number, love and serve others. Love and serve others. Carl Minninger, famous psychiatrist, was giving a lecture and he had a Q&A session afterward and somebody asked him this question. What would you advise a person to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? And people thought, well, he's going to say, make an appointment to see me. I'm a world-famous psychiatrist. But this is what he said. Lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help them. Why is that? Because when you are concerned about the needs of other people, when you love them and serve them, what happens to your own heart? It's an opportunity for joy. This is what Jesus said. For even the Son of Man, and that's Jesus' favorite title for himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why was Jesus so joyful? Because he loved and served others. And that's what he calls us to do. And notice this, the Apostle Paul. Paul was a, a man who followed Jesus in the first century, wrote a lot of the New Testament. He said this, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, let me point out one final way to become a more joyful person, and here it is. Look beyond the present to the future. Look beyond the present to the future. Now, how many of you have ever said these words? It is what it is. Have I ever said that? I said that this week more than once. It is what it is. Now, here's the reality. When we're going through a difficult situation, I mean, we could deny it. We could deny the pain or the discouragement or whatever, but the reality is, it is what it is. But that's only part of the story. Whenever I look at a situation in my life or in the life of somebody that I care about, I'm perfectly willing to say it is what it is because I know this. I know God wants us to be realistic but God also wants us to be optimistic, and here's why. Because we are people of promise. And God has promised that a day is coming when I'm going to put an end to suffering and pain and discouragement. I was talking to a group of high school students on Monday night, and I asked them this question. I said, when's the last time you cried? And can you tell us why? And I was... I was surprised, frankly, that they just started to open up. 
And one of the students said, well, you know, I was at work and this customer was really mean and rude to me and it really hurt my feelings and I started to cry. And, and another student said, well, there was this person that I cared about and they died and I just, I started to cry. When's the last time that you cried? When I asked that question on Monday night, you could almost reach out and touch the sadness in the room because we know this is a sad world, isn't it? But I pointed those students to a promise of Scripture. Because when you get to the end of the book, Jesus wins. And he says this, one day, one day God's going to wipe away every single tear from our eyes. And believing that, really believing that, can enable us to celebrate God's grace today. And friends, when we read this, this book, and, and God gave us the Scripture so that we could live with joy, when we read about joy, especially in the New Testament, we need to understand the perspective of the writers. Now, they went through some really hard times. There was a lot of pain and a lot of suffering for Christians in the first century. And they talk about all this joy, and you think, well, what in the world is going on? Here's what's going on. They saw all the events in their lives through this perspective of the ultimate victory and return of Jesus Christ. Now, who taught them to do that? Who taught them to look beyond the present to the future? Well, Jesus himself did. Because notice this verse. It says this, and this is in the book of, of Hebrews. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Jesus is actually on the cross. He's dying. But where are his thoughts? They're on the future. They're on what his suffering is going to accomplish. That we are going to be reconciled to God. And that was his joy that gave him the strength to trust God and obey God. And listen, church, this is, this is important for us. That verse says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that is especially important when you're really struggling, when your heart is broken. And this is, this is something I want to share with you. This is what I do when I'm, I'm really having a tough time and, and I'm just saying, God, I just, I don't feel joy, but I want to. What I try to do in my mind's eye is, is just imagine Jesus. Fix my eyes on Jesus. And I, I think about Jesus as this, this sovereign sentinel who stands guard at the gate of my life and only lets in what he can use for my good and for his glory. And church, that's true for us all because collectively we are people of promise and God has promised that he's going to do that. And so when, when we face adversity as a church, that's what we need to do collectively, fix our eyes on Jesus and know that he is that sovereign sentinel. He only allows into the lives of his people what he can use for our good and for God's glory. And believing that can enable us to live with joy. Now I want to do this. Well, first of all, just real quickly. Every week we have the Bible study outline, and if you flip it over, what do you have on the back? A devotional guide. Now it's interesting, there's actually seven ideas today. There's three joy busters and four joy builders. You can work through those scriptures and those ideas because I really want you to become a more joyful person. But I want to do this real quickly. It's a joy building exercise. And I've done this a number of times over the years. And some of you may remember this right away. Others, it may be brand new for you. But this is a way to kind of have an attitude adjustment so that you can choose to be thankful and in that become more joyful. And it involves four letters. 
ICBW. Now, what does that stand for? If you've been around BBCC, you know what it stands for, right? It, it could be worse. And that's a certain perspective on things that can actually lead to joy. And here's what I mean. Let me give you an example. Let's say you got to the, the parking lot here, and you're getting ready to get into your car, and you look to the car next to you, and you go, oh, man, that's, that's the car I really want. I mean, that's a great car. I'd really like to have that car. I'm not too happy about the car that I have. And then you go, whoa, time out. And you say to yourself those four words. Say them with me. It could be worse. You could have no car, right? You could have a bicycle. You could have to walk. You should be thankful that you have a car. Or this, you go home. And you're getting ready to walk in your front door and you look over at your neighbor's house and you go, oh man, I wish I had that house. I mean, that is like the best house. And I have this house. And you do a mental timeout and you say those four words and say them with me. It could be worse. You could not have a house. Come on. Be thankful that you have a house. There are people who are homeless all over the place. Or imagine this. Let's say you're married. And tomorrow morning, you wake up in bed and you roll over and you look at your spouse and you say to them, no, that's not what you want to say. Do not say it could be worse. Say this, I am so thankful for you. Let's celebrate God's grace together. Because church, listen, listen, listen. I really, really want you to experience God's joy. And my prayer for each of us this Christmas season is this, regardless, regardless of what's happening in your life right now, I pray that you can make the choice to celebrate God's grace so that you can experience, can we say it together? Joy. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that joy is possible when we keep our eyes on Jesus. God, joy is possible when we're closely connected with you. God, joy is possible when we really trust you and obey you. God, joy is possible when we reach out and we love people and serve people. God, help us to, to take those ideas and put them into practice in our lives this week. And Father, I pray for the one this morning who's just so tired and discouraged and sad. God, would you lift their head? Would you lift their heart? Because Christ has come. And he's come for us to rescue us, to save us, to bring us joy. And God, I want to pray too for the person here who maybe for the very first time is understanding the path to joy. Because Father, the path to joy is faith in Christ. And Lord, I pray for that person that if they want to make the most important, the most courageous choice of their life, to give their life to you, to follow Jesus, they would just talk to you right now, God, not out loud, but just in their own, in their heart, and in their own words, and just say, God, I, I admit to you I failed in so many ways. God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I know his name is Jesus. And I believe, God, that he died for my sins, that he came back to life. God, I don't understand all the stuff about Christianity, but I just want to tell you, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have your forgiveness. I want to have this life that I just desperately need. So God, would you do this? Would you come into my heart by your spirit and give me your joy? Father, you always hear that prayer. And God, as we wrap this service up, I am just so thankful, Lord, that you call us to be a people of joy. Help us to to find strength in your joy this week, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing our last song.